Good morning. Glad you're here this morning. I am super excited uh, to worship with you guys this morning. I was singing one of those songs, the, the second song we had this morning, and it says, Your name, your name is victory. That's why we're here this morning, because he's victorious. And it just welled up with me, in me as we're, we're about to study and enter into his word. It just flooded my mind of the things that he's done for me as he's rescued me out of sin and death. And it's just these things just start flooding my mind. And so as we're worshiping this morning, I hope the same happens for you. Um, again, I want to welcome you this morning. If you're new, um, I hope you felt welcomed. Um, I hope you've met some faces, some welcoming faces, um, and I hope you felt welcomed in this place. Um, now, if you are new with us this morning, um, or maybe you've even been coming the past few weeks, past couple weeks, um, you may be looking up here and you're like, who the heck is this guy, and where's Ridge? And to that I answer, that's a good question, and I'm sorry. So, um, you're stuck with me this morning, um, but I'm Braden Tanner. Um, I have the pleasure, the opportunity to lead our college ministry here at Memorial Baptist. Um, and I say it's a pleasure. I love um, our students. Um, my wife uh, and I moved here about a year ago, just a little over a year ago now, um, from Stephenville, Texas. Uh, we moved here, got the call um, for the ministry position here. Um, so we moved here um, and took over the college ministry here, and um, since we've been here, we've had our first um, child, Hattie. Um, you may see her and my wife, Caroline, around here at some point. Um, you may hear her before you see either of them. Um, I think she's actually putting her um, down for a nap right now so that hopefully um, she'll, she'll sleep and y'all don't have to endure her squeals throughout, because so, um, this is when she does that. It's when the room's quiet. So, um, no, but I want to work back because this is all leading up to this morning. Um, I love our college students. I love the college ministry. I love um, this age group. And there's some reasons why. Um, one of the reasons I love um, college and college students is that the stage of life that they're in is so critically important. Because more so now than any stage in their life, the decisions they make are going to affect the rest of the trajectory of their life. And so they're making decisions now that are going to affect their spouse, that are going to affect their kids, their grandkids, um, future employees. Hopefully some of them will will graduate and go be bosses and employers, and they'll be able to lead out in the workforce um, as believers. <clears throat> but I know this is true because it was true for me. And I can look out in this room and I could point out to you people that I know it was true for as well. Look, for me, college shaped the way I treat people, how I work, how I re relate to my coworkers, how I am as a husband, how I am as a father, um, the things that I do, where I spend my money. Um, college affected all those things and many other things as well. 
But look, if it wasn't for someone in my life, this is what college was telling me, okay? This is the things I was hearing, that my happiness financially, in relationships, in my jobs, and with my coworkers, my happiness was the highest importance. That I graduated from college and that I was happy because I was making money, I was happy in my relationships. That's what college was telling me. That's what the world was telling me, is that my happiness was the most important thing. But I met this guy my freshman year. His name was Clint Stouty. Several people in this room know who he is. Um, He's a great partner in ministry. He's up in Oklahoma at a church um, doing the same thing that we're doing here with college students, but with OU students. Um, God bless him. I'm sorry. But um, he's in Oklahoma doing the same thing. And this guy met me as I was a freshman. He was a senior. We were both studying kinesiology. And this guy, Clint, meets me and he starts inviting me um, to come study with him. And I'd be lying if I said that we actually studied. So we started calling it hanging out. Um, so studying turned into, hey, do you just want to come hang out? Because we know we're not going to actually study anything right now. So I'd go and I started to hang out with him, okay? And through spending time with him, he starts asking me questions about my faith. And upon asking me some of these questions, he begins to realize something. He begins to realize that my testimony, my story, my faith stops at this statement. Well, around eight years old, I understood I was a sinner. I needed a Savior, so I prayed the prayer and gave my life to the Lord. The end. That's where it stopped. That was my testimony of what God had done. It's not a bad testimony. That's an important part. But he recognized that nothing had happened since then. I was 20 years old, nearly, And the only thing I had to show for my faith was when I was eight years old and gave my life to the Lord. Now look, I firmly believe I gave my life to the Lord that night. That time when I was eight. But nothing had ever happened since. I had never experienced or known God after that point in my life. So what he started doing is he started opening the word with me started reading through it and studying through it. I had questions. He'd answer questions. And he began to show me that through Scripture that God had a much greater plan. That he actually not just saved me from my sin, but now he calls me and he wants me to be an ambassador of the ministry of reconciliation. Go and read 2 Corinthians 5. And God calls us, he says, therefore you are a new creation. And in that new creation, he says, I want you to be my ambassador for the ministry of reconciliation. That should floor us if you're a believer in this room. Because you know the things you've done. And he says, no, I want you to be the one that goes and ministers to the world and takes this ministry of reconciling people to me. That should floor us. And so he starts showing me that. He starts showing me that that is God's plan for my life. It's not just to get out a hell-free card, I'm saved, and now I can move on, and I can 
be happy in my jobs, I can be happy in my relationships, I can be happy in all these things, because that's not true. The most important thing in life is not my happiness, if I'm a believer. If we go to, look, this is the thing that if we go back into February and back to D now, the idea was the way up is down. That's what the students were learning that weekend. Is that, look, life isn't all about me and my happiness, what, makes, what satisfies me, what gives me the most pleasure. They took this idea from Jesus, found in Matthew 20. And he says this to his disciples, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is the king of kings we're talking about. Stepped out of heaven and came to serve. And not just to serve, but he then died. He says, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. So these are the things that I'm starting to learn and I'm starting to hear. And so look, this is important for where we're heading this morning. It's really important to me, and if you're a believer, it should be really important to you. And so that leads us to where we're heading this morning. So I'm going to ask you, I want you to flip over to Hebrews with me. If you've got your Bible or phone or tablet or something, jump over to Hebrews with me in Hebrews chapter 6. And there's one verse that I want to look at this morning, okay? It's verse 12. And this is what it says. It says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith Impatience inherit what has been promised. Now, let me briefly set up what's happening, okay? Look, the writer of Hebrews, um, it remains unknown who it is. A lot of people think it's Paul. Some people think um, maybe it was um, one of Paul's companions. Um, but the truth of the matter is, we don't know exactly who it is. Um, you may think one way or the other, and that's, that's okay. It doesn't really matter, ultimately. Um, but someone wrote this to a group of Gentile and Jewish believers, okay? But all these believers, where they were at, were greatly influenced um, by Jewish customs and the Jewish religion, okay? And so, right now, in this moment, believers, believers that believe in Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected are facing a lot of persecution. I mean, the persecution is heavy, not just like people saying, oh, I don't believe in what you believe in, but I'm talking like thrown in prison, killed, like serious persecution. And that's what they're in the middle in right now, middle of right now. And some of these believers are on the cusp of saying, well, I'm just going to slip back into some of these Jewish customs, some of the Jewish religion, because they're not the ones being persecuted right now. So I can just kind of slip back into some of the rituals and the things they do and kind of hide over here um, for a while where it's safe. Or I might just even abandon it altogether. These are some of the things that must have been talked about um, or been voiced at some point because the writer of Hebrews is hitting that stuff right out the gates. And immediately he's telling them, one, who Jesus is and his superiority to all things. He's saying, look, if you're thinking about slipping back into the Jewish religion, look, Christ is superior to all those things. 
He's superior to the sacrifices, to all these things that you're um, just going through the motions of doing. No, he's superior to all that. So you can't just slip back into that and call yourself a Christ follower. No, he's saying, look, we have to. He's like, I know it's hard, but we have to move on um, past some of these elementary truths. And he's saying some of the reason why you're thinking about slipping back is because you actually haven't moved on past that when I was eight years old, I accepted Christ. And so what that's leading to now that you're being persecuted is, one, you're scared, but you're also kind of frustrated because you're not seeing God move. And you don't have anything to look back to and remember and rejoice about. So now that you're in the middle of persecution, you're like, I don't know if this is what I signed up for and what I want to do. He said, no, we've got to move on past the shallows of the elementary truths. And look, those elementary truths are important. If you look back in a little bit ahead of where we're reading at the end of chapter 5, he's talking about, look, you're still on milk and you need to be on meat. Look, the milk years are important. We have a child right now that she's living off milk and we're slowly starting to introduce food. And look, that's important because over the course of time as she starts to eat food, more and more we introduce more solid, more solid, until finally now we're trying to teach her how to cut her steak and to eat her, her, her stuff herself, okay? Those are the things that have to progress and happen as we grow in the faith as well. Okay, so we have to move on past some of these elementary truths. And that's what he's telling them right now is that, look, you've got to move on past that stuff. Because there's no substance to keep you grounded in the face of persecution. And so that's where we're at right now, okay? Is that this is who the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to. is a people in that face of persecution that are in the elementary truths, and they're like, we need something more, or I don't know if we can continue to do this. And so this is what he writes to them. And I'm going to read it again. He says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Let's go to the Lord in prayer for a moment. God, we love you, and God, we are so thankful for your word. God, as believers in the room, God, I pray that memories, God, that things, God, the ways that you've worked, God, the ways that you've uh, maybe opened up um, things and paths that, that shouldn't have been opened up. God, where there is not a way out and you provided a way out. God, where maybe finances were hard and you provide. God, where relationships get tough and you provide peace, you provide um, clarity of how to deal with those. God, I pray that, that memories of how you've shown up in our lives flood our mind as, as we go through this morning. God, that we would be able, as believers, to move on past elementary truths, but also being called into um, some of the deeper um, understandings of who you are. God, we love you, and God, we are so thankful for your word this morning. God, we pray that you speak to us, that your spirit would be here and your spirit would move this morning. God, we love you, and it's in your name that we ask these things. Amen. So at the heart of this passage, this one piece of Scripture, it's right here at the end of him just like 
look, you've got to step it up. So he's really encouraging them with pressure and maybe some rebuking as well. And so at the heart of this verse 12 is so much joy and so much encouragement. But one thing has to be understood before we see the joy and the encouragement in this text. And that is the gospel. The gospel has to be understood before there's any joy in this text and any encouragement in this text. And so one thing we have to ask, because I understand that there might be someone in this room that doesn't believe in the gospel yet. And so I want to answer to a question for you, what is the gospel? Because maybe you've never heard it before. And so look, I want to throw out this disclaimer real quick as we move forward. If you're a believer in the room this morning, don't check out on me because you've heard this. The thing that I want you to do, and I'm going to challenge you, that as we're talking about what the gospel is this morning, I want you to be reminded of the joy of your salvation. Look back at that moment when you were eight or however old you were and rejoice in that. Remember the things you did in your youth as a young believer. That's what he tells us to in Revelations. Remember those things. Remember your first love. I want you to recall those things and I want you to think about how he has continued to provide day in and day out, month in, month out, even when maybe you didn't feel him and all of a sudden he revealed himself to you. Whatever it may be, I want you to think of those things as we move through this morning, okay? So don't check out on us. So look, let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15 real quick. Verses 3 through 4, and it's going to tell us exactly what the gospel is. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. This right here is the gospel stripped down. It is at the bones of what it is. Christ came, He lived, He died, and He was resurrected. And in that, Paul says, this is of most importance. This is the, of first importance of what I have to share with you. If nothing else you hear this morning, if nothing else you hear in this letter, he says, this right here is of most importance. That's a stressor. When we read that, he says, this is of first importance. We should, like, light up. Okay, what's of most importance? And he tells us those things, that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So what Paul's saying is, look, this is the main thing. And you can't actually take hold um, of any of this inheritance that we're talking about until you come face to face with the realities of every one of these truths. That Christ is God in human flesh, like that's a reality that we have to face. That's who Christ is. Um, that he came and he died for our sins. And look, if we want to, we can flip over to 
um, several passages, and we can see, um, if, if you don't already recognize, we can see that we are sinful from the beginning. If we go to Romans 3, it says, in 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it all happened back at the garden, if we want to go back there. And if that doesn't do it, look at some of the laws that God sets before us. And they're set there because it shows, look, we've sinned. It reveals that sin in us. And so we have to recognize that we're sinful. Then we also have to recognize that he died. And why did he die? Because there's a penalty for sin. And that penalty is death. If we look at Romans 6, 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. In Genesis, from the very beginning, before sin even entered the world, this is what he said to Adam and Eve. He says, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you eat from it, you will surely die. If you sin, if you disobey, like, you will die. That's the punishment. And look, we know that they didn't eat it and just like keel over and die. So there's something more to that. There's a spiritual component to that. Okay? And so we recognize that there's a penalty for that sin, and that's death. And this is where the story becomes so incredible. And that's why we call it the greatest love story ever told. It's for this reason. is that Christ, who is God, stepped out of heaven, lived among us a perfect life, had no sin in him, yet he goes to the cross And God takes all the wrath of the sin of humanity and thrusts it upon Jesus, his son, who was perfect. And it kills him. And he goes to the grave, but being fully God is raised from the dead and leaves those sins in the grave so that we can be reconciled to God. That's incredible. And so look, as we're reading this text this morning, these are important questions to ask because what the heck does an inheritance have to do with anything? Well, it has to do with the gospel story. And so we're going to talk about what is that inheritance and why should I imitate people who are taking hold of that inheritance? Okay? And so the inheritance comes from the gospel. We know that inheritance comes when someone dies. Jesus died, but by the power of God, being fully God, he was raised. And so now he offers an inheritance to us. And that inheritance is eternal life. That's incredible. That he made a way for us as sinful people to come and reside with him in eternity. Despite everything we've done. That floors me. But look, something he's done, because look, we don't get to take hold fully of that inheritance until the other side of earth, until the other side of this life. And so there's some cool truths in here about this inheritance that we can find in Scripture, okay? And one of them is this, that Jesus has, God has actually deposited within us a guarantee of that inheritance. And we're going to read about that real quick in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. This is what he says. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard this message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who God's possession who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says, "Look, when you accept me, and that's all you have to do." He says there's nothing that you can actually do to earn your way up to heaven, but all you have to do is recognize what I did on the cross for you and confess that with your mouth and believe that in your heart. And he says, I seal you with this promise, with this inheritance. And then I make a deposit on that inheritance as you're waiting for it on, in eternity. I make a deposit, and that deposit is the Holy Spirit. And the reason that we have this deposit of the Holy Spirit is to help lead us into righteousness while we're here on earth. We call that sanctification, which is creating us more like Jesus. That is the purpose of this deposit that he's given us. We can read in in Romans 8, 14, and this is what it says. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in a fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He calls us heirs. He adopts us as his children. And then he gives us this, this deposit and says, Look, I want you to live on earth like little Christ, but you're going to need this deposit. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to do that. And so in John 16, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truths. This is what he says to his disciples. They actually walked face to face with Jesus. He says, look, I have more that I I need to tell you, but I don't have time because my time's about done here. And so he says, you know what, I'm I'm actually going to deposit, you're going to have this spirit And he's going to lead you into truth. He's going to teach you and guide you into all the truths that I didn't have time while I was walking here um, on earth to share with you. He says, that's why I'm giving them to you. I'm giving them to you so that as you recall some of the things that I taught, he helps you give clarity and gives understanding to it. Look, if if you didn't get a walk with him, look, as you're reading these things, that these other believers that walked with me, coined and wrote down for us, it's like, I'm going to help give you understanding to those things. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so all of that is leading us to this great inheritance of eternal life. Okay? And so now we can actually get back to the text this morning. All that had to be set up. Because this inheritance means nothing without the gospel. And with the gospel, we receive the inheritance of eternal life. And we receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he charges these believers with. Because they're believers, 
They're young believers, but they're believers, still in the elementary truths. He says, we do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We know what the inheritance is now. And so what he's saying is, look, when you have questions, when you're faced with persecution and you're like, man, I don't know if I can handle this anymore, when finances get tough, when maybe you're in a tough relationship with your spouse, when raising kids gets hard, when trying to find a job or maybe you've been laid off from a job and you're faced with that, or you're trying to figure out how to relate with these coworkers that maybe aren't believers, He says, look, I want you to find someone. I want you to identify someone that has spent time walking with me in faithful patience waiting on that inheritance. I want you to identify those people. And I want you to get up real close with them and I want you to imitate them, okay? And that means two things. It means things for those being imitated, and it has implications for those imitating. And I want to talk about those briefly before we shut this down. Look, for those that are being imitated, I want to start with you. Those are people that have had some years um, of walking in the faith. Those are people that have stories about how God's shown up Those people, look, you need to identify those that are young in the faith. And what you need to do is you need to get up real close with them as well. You need to be able to to walk with them and show them how to navigate relationships. You need to, to show them how to navigate being a parent. How to navigate being um, a spouse. How to, um, to create a budget so that you know where your money's going. And I'm thankful for Gail because she's about to, to start financial peace again. And that's what she's doing. So thank you, Gail, for teaching. That's what you're doing as you're coming alongside young believers. And you're saying, look, I've had experience in this. Let me show you how to do it. There's power in that, okay? And so look, this doesn't fall totally on those um, that are young in the faith, finding someone to imitate. No, you need to start recognizing that there are people in this room, that there are people in this community that are young in the faith, and you need to come alongside them and show them how to navigate this life. Because look, there's a whole section of college students here that haven't experienced a number of those things that I just talked about as far as spouses and children and full-time jobs and having um, an actual paycheck. Sorry, guys, y'all, act, y'all do make some money, but it's not an actual paycheck. I've been there. Um, and so, um, but what do I do with that money, okay? Like, there's people that need to know these things, but they're not going to know it unless you come alongside them and you show them how to navigate those things. Look, you have the ability to set someone's trajectory of life towards Christ so they can have success in those areas. 
but I also want to thank you as those that we imitate because y'all are the ones that have kept the faith for so long so that we can come up behind and another generation can yet love and serve the Lord and continue to proclaim that gospel to this world. And so we thank you. And as those of us that are looking to imitate Look, maybe you're new to the faith. Maybe you're worn out. Maybe you're facing some of these things that these believers are facing. This is a challenge for you to identify those people that I just named. And the cool thing is is that Scripture, because you may be like, I don't know what to look for in those people. I don't know who to identify. Look, Scripture does that for you. And I want to give you two passages. I'm not going to read them. But look, if you find yourself maybe in this category of someone that's like, man, I need to get alongside someone that's been doing this for a while, write down this pa- these two passages. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. And Titus 2, 2 through 8. Those passages give us what to look for in faithful, patient followers of Christ that have endured. He actually lists things out. It's like, hey, look for these things in people. One of them is in Titus, the passage I gave you. And he actually is calling out the older men and women. He's saying, hey, you should be living this way so that young men and young women will look up to you and you can actually teach them how to... um, do some of those things we just talked about. How to love their families, how to love their spouses, how to, how to operate um, in a job with coworkers. He actually talks about those things and he, he challenges them. So go and look for those things in people. And look, I'm going to call the band back up um, and, and we're going to close this down. But look, when we come to a recognition of the gospel and an understanding of our inheritance. This passage right here brings so much joy and so much encouragement to us. Because it's saying you can do this. Look, maybe you're tired, maybe you're worn out. Get alongside someone that's been doing it for a while, that's patiently endured, and be revitalized. Imitate their faith. And that's encouraging because he's saying, look, it's like a pat on the back. Like, you can do this, and this is how you do it. Find someone that's been doing it. (laughs) And that's the call of the New Testament. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. That's what Paul did with Timothy and Barnabas and, um, and all these guys. It's discipleship. If you take someone alongside and you teach them and you train them, And 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, For all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He said, look, I've given you this word. Now go and train people. But that requires you to build a relationship with them. So as you're building a relationship like Clint did with me years ago, 
when we would go study. Look, what he was doing was he was laying the foundation, the foundation for him to be able to come alongside and say, hey, look, we have some stories together. We've, we've spent some time together. Tell me a little bit about your faith. And as we start talking, he starts to realize, look, you don't have anything past eight years old. And you're a 20-year-old. He says, look, I don't want you to make laps around that because that's frustrating as you get older. But he says, I want to open this word with you and study it with you and show you that God has a greater purpose than just taking victory laps around that same one encounter with God. But that God actually wants to use you to reconcile the world to himself. That's what we have the power to do, and that's why this verse is so encouraging. It's because it fits both of those spots. It fits those that need to find someone and imitate them, and it encourages us that need to find someone to allow them to imitate us because we have some years, we have some experience. And so I want to stop right there. And I want to challenge you with that. That if you find yourself in the spot of someone that needs to probably be imitated, that's been doing this for a while, that's been faithful and patient in your inheritance, then you need to start finding someone that's a little bit younger and come alongside them and teach them and train them and love them. And if you're someone that's new to the faith, You need to find someone that's been doing it for a while and get around them, rub some shoulders with them, and learn from them. And so we're going to stop there. We're going to move into a time of worship this morning. um, And I want to challenge you with some things. Look, don't leave this place and be like, yeah, I'll do that at some point. No, start now. Look, one of the things that Titus tells the older men that they should possess is endurance. Look, if you're still kicking, if you're still around, you have something to teach someone. It looks different maybe than me going and investing in someone. Invite them over though. Sit down over a cup of coffee at your house and show them how you love your spouse. Or maybe show them how you love your kids. Maybe show them how you budget your finances. Sit down and do those things with people, but don't put that off. The challenge is to do that now. And look, if you're on the other end of that and you need to imitate someone, start now. Start identifying who those people are. And look, if you're a young student or a college student or a young adult, that's going to require you to get around people that are not your age, okay? And so that's going to require you to maybe get out of your comfort zone a little bit and to go and start meeting and introducing yourself to people. And look, one of the coolest things that we have is on Wednesday nights, we have a free meal. If you're a college student or a youth student or a young adult, um, Look, you should be here and enjoying a free meal. Take them while you get them. 
but those are an opportunity to get to know people. So don't come and sit around with the people that you're familiar with. Go and sit with someone you don't know and start rubbing shoulders with some people. But that starts now. Don't put it off. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this encouragement. God, that if we are young in our faith, Lord, you give us a way to know you and to grow. God, we're thankful for the Holy Spirit that you've planted in our lives as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance of salvation. God, and we pray that that Spirit would work in our lives, convicting us. Um, God, challenges us and calling us out of sin. God, calling us out of um, just the elementary truths of the faith. But God, that it would call us deeper into an understanding and a knowledge of you that we can then pass on to someone else. And God, if we find ourselves as a young believer, God, I pray right now that we would take it upon ourselves to identify and find someone that's got some years on us and start imitating them. And God, I challenge those. God, I ask that if we fall in the other category of those to be imitated that have been doing this for a while, that have endured faithfully and patiently while we await for our inheritance. God, I pray that we wouldn't wait, but that we would be active in investing in the lives of those young believers. God, I pray that starting in this church, God, that we will be able to reach the community of Temple and Belton because we practice these things well, because we love people, because we invest in people, and God, ultimately, because we're changed by the gospel. And so, Lord, in this moment, God, I pray that if we need to take care of anything that might be hindering us from moving into a deeper relationship with you and into deeper understanding, God, I pray that we'd take care of that now. God, if it's sin, I pray that we would, we would move forward, that we would share that with someone. God, that we could overcome that because, God, you tell us that you provide a way out of sin, that no temptation has overcome us but God, that you provide a way out so we can stand up under that victorious. So God, I pray that we deal with that. God, maybe we're worn out, and if we're worn out, God, I pray that we would grab someone next to us. Say, man, I need some encouragement. I need someone to come alongside me and encourage me because I'm just about ready to give up. Life's been tough. I pray that we take care of those things now. Look, maybe you're sitting in this room and you've never entered into that relationship with Christ. Maybe you've never heard that gospel story. Look, now is the time to take care of that. Come find myself. There will be two others, a couple other others standing up here. Come find one of us and let's talk through that. But don't wait. The inheritance is too great. God, we love you. 
God, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus. God, we're so thankful that he would come and live among us. And God, that he would take on the burden of our sin, God, the weight of our sin, and that he would die. But God, we're so thankful that he he rose again. God, that he left that sin in the grave and he makes a way for us to come to you. God, clean, blemish-free, white as snow, that we can come to you because of what he accomplished on the cross. God, we love you. It's your name we pray these things. Amen.